0: You have your copy of God's Word. I want to invite you to open up to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Today, in honor of Father's Day, we're looking at a message geared specifically toward fathers, though it, it can be applied and should be applied to all of our lives as, uh, as Christians. But uh, the title of the sermon today is a Father's Day gift, and it's the fourth chapter of Proverbs. Before we read the text, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. O Lord, I ask that you would anoint my lips and my mind to think and to speak clearly this morning, but also, Lord, anoint our ears and our minds so that as we hear and we process and think upon your word, You would apply it into our lives by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that you would would strengthen us as your children, as followers of you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak into each of our lives today, uh, children and adults alike. And we ask, Lord, that you would be exalted and glorified in our time together this morning. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A friend of mine wrote some intro thoughts for a Father's Day message, and rather than recreate what he wrote, I felt that he said it so perfectly. I just wanted to share it with you this morning as we begin to look at this text. Every child needs a hero. A son needs a man he can imitate. A daughter needs a man who can make her feel protected, valued, and secure. Who better to be that hero than dad? There's never been a more urgent and strategic time in the body of Christ and in the life of our nation for fathers to step up and to be heroes to their children that God has called and designed them to be. This role surprises many fathers because although they may see themselves as strong They often feel they orbit their families rather than occupy center stage. It's time we encourage fathers to get back to their rightful role as heroes at center stage in family life. It's an established fact that most social ills today can be directly traced back, or directly traced rather, to a lack of good and godly fathers in our homes. But the potential impact of a godly father is almost immeasurable. Fathers are the visible link children have to their father in heaven. And in many ways, the viewpoint, children, the viewpoint children develop about God will come from their earthly fathers. God designed fatherhood to be an image-bearing responsibility to train children how to know and relate to Him. God models for us the characteristics he had in mind when he designed fatherhood. Although many times earthly fathers don't live up to the ideal, God promises that through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, no one has to be without a perfect heavenly father. And so fathers, let me encourage you by giving you this morning some strategic gifts that you can give to your children that will help us to be visible links to our children so that they can see their Father in heaven. And so I want to say this morning that fathers have an incredible privilege and responsibility from God to shape their children in godliness. Fathers have an incredible privilege, but also an incredible responsibility from God to shape their children in godliness. So this morning, in verses 1 through 9, first we see that fathers, fathers are to, fathers gift your children by blessing them with a godly heritage. The first exhortation is to fathers to gift your children by blessing them with a godly heritage. Now in verses 1 through 9, I want to invite you to follow along as I read. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you the beautiful, a beautiful crown. You know, one thing that distinguishes Proverbs 4 from the other Proverbs is that it appeals to tradition. We have the picture of a father continuing to teach the tradition of godly wisdom to his son. It's a tradition that stretches back through his family, through generations, and through the community for generations. Just as his father and mother taught him, so he's teaching now his son. So he's teaching now his children. This is God's design for his people. It's God's design for fathers as they they rear their children. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 78, beginning at verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but Keep his commandments. So fathers, we we are to gift our children with the blessing of a godly heritage. And if we're going to bless our children, gift our children with the blessing of a godly heritage, we need to cultivate an assurance of trust with our children. We see this in verses 1 and 2 here, O sons, a father's instruction right? He's inviting, he's encouraging his children to hear and to be attentive to the instruction that he's giving them. He's calling them, saying, give me your heart, in a sense. He's saying, I give you good precepts. Don't forsake my teaching. Don't walk away from my teaching. Hear what I'm saying, learn it, and live in this way. Reminds me of Psalm 127, 4, where the psalmist is speaking about the role of parents and children and he he says like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth and i know i've used this kind of illustration in this picture before but it's such an incredible picture of you know the 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 tool that the warrior had especially the bowman the the most important thing was making sure that those arrows were straight that they were sharp that they were ready to be released right And this takes time in order to cultivate that and to to do that. And so what we see here is this: the the, the Proverbs, the writer, he's saying that we we need to cultivate an assurance of trust. It takes time. But what we're doing here in, in investing and discipling and teaching our children is that we're sharpening the arrows. We're making sure they're straight. We're making sure that they're ready to be released in the world. And in our culture, for the 18 years that maybe we have them in our home, we're working intentionally and diligently shaping them and investing in them. And so we need to cultivate an assurance of trust. But not only that, we we need to entice our children toward obedience. Verses 3 and 4, we need to entice our children toward obedience. You know, this begins even at a young age. The father says to his son, look at verse 3. When I was a son with my father tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me. You see, the father and the mother's tender care and teaching toward their children is important, even at a very young age. The instruction is not, it's not a promise. It, it's one of, uh, of general wisdom. Trust me with your heart. Take these words to heart hold them fast, don't let go of them, remember them always. And what he's saying here is keep these commandments and you will live. It will prolong your day. Follow my commandments and it will give you life. And so we entice our children toward obedience really by giving them a picture of the beauty of acquiring wisdom. And so this takes time. It it takes intentionality. He taught me and said, let Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments. Now, get this, in in verse 4, the writer, the father is saying to his son, here's what my father said, your grandfather, here's what he told me. And from from like the second half of verse 4, 4b, you might say, all the way through verse 9, here's the instruction that's being passed on from the father to the son that has come from the grandfather and even from generations before. And so remember, even it, it doesn't matter what station, what season you're at in life, in this parenting journey or grandparenting journey, there's always something that needs to be contributed. So we entice our children toward obedience by giving them the, the picture of the beauty of acquiring wisdom. So I would say to the dads, the, the way that you love your wife is significant. The way that you... Love and speak to your children is significant. The things that you teach your children are are of utmost importance, but perhaps the most important is the way that you follow Jesus. The way that you follow Jesus is paramount. This is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That doesn't just speak about money. That's speaking generally for all of life. when When we put Christ first... It directs our path. And that's, that's what the proverb is, is about. It's about walking in, in God's wisdom. Not only does it take time and intentionality in teaching, fathers, it also takes prayer. And I know this proverb doesn't say anything about praying for our children, but this really must be a central tenet of our instruction to our children. In verses 5 and 6, he instructs his sons that following the, the words of his mouth, will give them wisdom and give them understanding. And so wisdom in this proverb is personified as a woman who will protect him, who will guard him. Verse 7 might even be read like this. The beginning of wisdom. Acquire wisdom. And above all your acquisitions, acquire wisdom. In other places in Proverbs... It says about wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so the son's acquisition of wisdom is really seen as a gift from God. It's a gift from God because a godly father teaching his children is actually a gracious gift from God into the life of the children. He continues in verses 8 and 9 with this intimate language, enticing his sons to, to prize wisdom. So in verse 8, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She'll place a garland, a graceful garland on your head and a beautiful crown. The picture here isn't of a perfect father, but it's one who's intentional to spend time with his children. It's one who cultivates this trust because he entice, and because of that, he entices his children toward wise living and obedience. You know, maybe you didn't have this picture, this portrait growing up during your childhood. But I would encourage you that you have a chance to to change the course of your family by being this kind of father, one who lives and leads a godly heritage. I'm convinced that one of the greatest lines in all the New Testament is found at two points in Jesus' ministry where God the Father is speaking to God the Son. It's at his baptism in chapter 3, verse 17. And it's at the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. You know what that line is? The first one, he parts the heavens. And God the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And in Matthew 17, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the glory of God is shining there. And out of the glorious shine, glorious presence of God. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that declaration, I think, sums up what every child needs to hear. This is my son. You belong. This is my daughter. You belong. This is my beloved son. You you are loved. With whom I am well pleased. You're special. I'm proud of you. At Ronald Reagan's funeral, his son Michael described the greatest gift a child can receive. He said, I was so proud to be Ronald Reagan's son. What a great honor. Although he gave me a lot of gifts as a child, there was one gift he gave me that I think is wonderful for every father to give every son. Last Saturday, when when he closed his eyes, that's when I realized the gift that he gave me, the gift that he was going to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Back in 1988, on a flight from Washington, D.C. to Point Mugu, he told me about his love for God, his love for Christ as his Savior. And I didn't know then what all it meant, but I certainly, certainly know now. He continues, I can't think of a better gift for a father to give a son, and I hope to honor my father by giving my son Cameron and my daughter Ashley that very same gift he gave me. I know where my father is this very moment, and I can only promise my father this. Dad, when I die, you and I and my sister, Maureen, who went before us, will dance with a heavenly host of angels before the presence of God. We will do it melanoma and Alzheimer's free. I would say, fathers, one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give your children is a godly heritage. And what I mean by that, is that you need to let them see your vibrant walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to disciple them and teach them how to love God, how to listen to God, how to hear from the Holy Spirit, how to pursue God tenaciously. Well, secondly, this morning, fathers, I want to exhort you to gift your children by teaching them to walk in the way of wisdom, to walk in the way of wisdom. Verses 10 through 19, we see kind of the second section, and that's what is the father's exhorting his children to do. And if we're going to do that, first we need to lead them. Lead them to know Jesus Christ. In verses 10 and 11, he says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. You know, what decent father doesn't want what's best for his children? And in verse 10, the father exhorts his son once again to accept his words so that he might live a long life. And he says in verse 11, I've taught you the ways of wisdom. I've led you in this path of of uprightness. The father is saying, not only have I taught you with my words, I've actually shown you with my life. I've lived it out. I've demonstrated it. I've shown you how choosing wisdom over folly makes you to walk on smooth paths verses 12 and 13 when you walk your step will not be hampered and if you run you will not stumble keep hold of instruction do not let go guard her for she is your life I said before and I'll say again wisdom isn't isn't a once for all decision it involves a lifetime of commitment and recommitment Remaining on the straight path is more difficult and oftentimes less enticing than the wicked path. But here's what it does. It eases the burden of life. And wisdom, wisdom is worth the pursuit because it leads to life. Walking in the way of wisdom fills our days with happiness and with joy. And so the wisdom that Proverbs speaks about is that of walking uprightly before God. As New Testament believers, we're encouraged by Jesus himself to turn to him in this life and to find rest for our weary souls as we walk the narrow path and follow God's wisdom. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, right? And I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and and humble in heart and find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, walking in God's wisdom, it's certainly not the easy path, but it's the most fruitful, it's the most rewarding, it's the most satisfying, and it's full of joy. We must teach our children to be discerning. We must teach them to be wise, how, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to read the Scripture, how to listen, listen to the, the living Word of God. We do this as we lead them. But not only do we lead them, we need to warn them. We need to warn them, warn them that the way of wisdom is the narrow path that leads to life and consequently the way of wickedness is the wide path that leads to death. You know, we often hear testimonies of those who have been delivered out of a lifestyle of addiction, addiction to drugs or alcohol, delivered from a lifestyle of addiction to to pornography, those who have been wrapped up in an immoral lifestyle, And, and we think, when we hear this, we think, what a powerful story of God's grace, and it is. It's a powerful story of God's grace and God's deliverance in that person's life. But the greatest and most powerful story is the one who, by God's grace, has been kept from those experiences because they've walked in the way of God's wisdom. They've followed God's path. That's the greater story. That's the greater testimony. And that's what the writer of Proverbs is getting at here. Guarding our children. The father investing in the children investing in his sons, teaching them the right way, the godly way, the way of walking in wisdom. Students and children, if, if you speak with those who have been delivered from bondage and addiction from an ungodly lifestyle, you'll quickly learn that they have many, many regrets in life. They've lost close friends. They've done and experienced terrible things. They've been trapped in degrading sin. Many of them, though safe, still live with the consequences of terrible choices that they made when they were younger. Drugs, alcohol abuse, sex outside of marriage, and so many more all have the allure of worldly attraction. They all have the enticement of promising satisfaction they actually are going down the path of the wicked. And in the end, all they do is lead to a lonely and dark place. They mess us up. They turn our lives upside down. They wreak havoc in our lives for years to come. And so the warning first comes in verse 2. Look, he says, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teachings. And then we see it again in verse 14, another warning. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Verse 15, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Verse 16, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Then again in verse 19, another warning. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You know, Jesus warns us similarly in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, listen to what he says. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. You see, the way of wisdom is the narrow path that leads to life. The way of wisdom is found in pursuing Jesus Christ and walking in relationship to Jesus Christ. Not only do we lead them and warn them, we we need to give them a vision. Give them a vision. Father's, Gift your children by teaching them to walk in the way of wisdom and give them a vision. He says in verse 18, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You know, as we walk the path of righteousness, the path becomes clearer and clearer. That's what he's saying. I don't have a video to show you of walking the path of righteousness, but I have one of... Kind of what he's talking about with the, the early light of dawn until rising or the, the till the full day or the to the, the the sunrise when we see the actual sunrise and so I want you to take a look here at, at this video so this is just us in the morning leaving the marina at the break of day all right so the sun really hasn't come up yet it's just starting to come up so he says here but the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day, right? And so you see the path in the beginning, and then as the sun rises, your way becomes clearer and clearer. I couldn't edit that out. Your way becomes clearer and clearer. You know, so even though we leave a, a few minutes before the sunrise... We're running through the marsh, and we we stay in wide canals before the sun comes up. But as the sun comes up and it rises, we can see clearly to navigate the smaller channels, or we can see clearly to navigate around these sandbars. Just follow me here, all right? So unfortunately, I didn't have any pictures of us or video of us navigating these smaller canals because I had to drive because they were actually really small. But it would be unwise for us to navigate some of these smaller canals without the light of day, without being able to see clearly. And so just as the light of day is necessary to see where we're going, so it is that God's wisdom is necessary for us to navigate the path of righteousness in this world. And that's what he's saying. As we walk in this righteous path following God, the path becomes clearer and clearer. As the sun rises, it, it, it becomes clear. We're able to see more clearly. What a glorious picture and vision of clarity as we walk with God. In the beauty of, of, of early dawn's light, we can see dimly, but as the sun rises, things become clearer. And this is what it's like to walk with God and to grow in God's wisdom. As we pursue wisdom and grow in God's wisdom, His wisdom lights our way. His wisdom makes the path clearer and clearer for us to see. And so, fathers, if you're going to teach your children how to walk in wisdom, you must first walk in wisdom yourself. You can't lead them in what you do not know. The scripture is clear at this point about the way of wisdom. In fact, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This means to know God, to know the wisdom of God, to be in relationship. This is the, the fullness of what, what God has done in, in redemptive history, to know the fullness of, of this wisdom that, God is speak, that the proverb is speaking about. It's to live in right relationship with God. And in the New Testament, we see this reality. The, the way that we live in right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. He is the one way to come to the Father. Let me ask you, fathers, believer, are you walking in righteousness? Are you leading your children? Are you warning them? Are you setting a vision of godliness before them? Do you know Jesus Christ? Fathers, let me encourage you to give your children the gift of teaching, teaching them to walk in God's way and God's wisdom. Thirdly, this morning, fathers, gift your children by instilling in them a godly perspective. Gift your children by instilling in them a godly perspective. You know, the world system is built on immediate gratification and living for present pleasures. But if we lose the meaning of eternity and fail to see life from an eternal perspective, we lose everything important from God's point of view. In verses 18 and 19, we saw the contrast of the path of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And here in verses 20 through 27, the son is exhorted by his father to use all of his resources to remain diligent and not veer off the path of the righteous to the path of the evil. And so, listen in verses 20 through 27. And catch how the father exhorts his son to employ everything in guarding his way. Listen, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You see, walking in godly wisdom, it calls for a lifetime of work not just a one-time decision. Notice at the center of this section is the encouragement, the exhortation, the admonition to guard the integrity of his heart. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And in this guarding, he is to guard everything else. From the heart flows life, guard the eyes, guard guard the mind, guard what we look at, guard our feet, guard where they carry us, guard what we hear, guard what we say. All of these things stems from the heart. The heart is speaking about integrity, about one's character. So as the wellspring of life, the Father knows that an evil heart is a dead heart. And the way of life is found in a, a pure heart before God. So developing a godly perspective in, in life is a matter of learning the ways of God and living a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The challenge here, fathers, is that we would gift our children by instilling them with a godly perspective, by teaching them to walk in the way of wisdom And by blessing them with a godly heritage. You see, fathers have an incredible privilege and responsibility from God. And that is to shape their children in godliness. And you do this in more ways than you realize. In fact, you may not even realize the ways that you are shaping your children until much later on in life when they come back and tell you, I remember when you did this or I remember when you did that and it was a turning point for me. Many have heard that, and we praise God for it. I want to challenge you dads, fathers, believers. Are you walking in the way of righteousness? Are you taking that time realizing the significance of, of your role in the lives of your children? I think this is the best Father's Day gift that we can give to our children. Let us cultivate an assurance of trust with our kids. Let us entice our children toward obedience. Let us lead them, warn them, and give them a vision of what it looks like to walk in God's way and to pursue Him with all that we have. And let's entrust them to God and pray for them before God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom and the truth of your word and we ask Lord that you would encourage and equip us not just as fathers as parents but not just as parents as your children to live in such a way where we pursue your wisdom where we seek to walk in your ways where we seek to do unto others as we would have them do unto us and and live a a godly life, leave a godly heritage for others who look upon us that they might see Christ in us. And Now, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each one of us this morning as we live for you and, Lord, that you would give us a new sense of of vision and, and desire to live for your glory in the midst of the world that you've placed us in. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand.